This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're talking about the economic outlook for the Asia-Pacific region in 2021. We're joined by Andrew Tilton, the firm's chief Asia-Pacific economist and head of global emerging markets economic research. Andrew, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Andrew, each year you publish uh, an economic outlook for the following year. You recently put your report out. How does your view of economic growth in Asia for 2021 compare to the consensus view? We're optimistic about growth in Asia Pacific next year. We think the region could grow more than 7% in 2021. We're optimistic about the world also. We think the world can grow about 6%, but especially optimistic about Asia Pacific for a few reasons. First, the region has very good control of the virus in many parts, particularly parts of Northeast Asia and Australia, New Zealand. Second, as in other places, we think we'll see widespread vaccinations in significant parts of the region next year. Third, the biggest economy, China, has already recovered quite a lot from the coronavirus shock. It's already up on a year-over-year basis and showing strong momentum into the end of the year. So China's already normalized a lot and has pretty strong momentum heading into 2021. So it looks good for growth in Asia-Pacific next year. You say in the report that the Asia-Pacific region is entering a second transitional phase of recovery. What does that phase look like, and what can we expect from economic activity? Well, I think when I referred to the second phase, what I was referring to really was the period after the initial release of the lockdown. So obviously, many economies put on some very serious restrictions in the second quarter around the world to try to control the spread of the virus. As virus spread slowed down and those restrictions came off, you've generally seen a very sharp bounce back in economic activity. That's been, you know, I think, particularly fast in those economies that hit the bottom harder, that had a bigger drop in the second quarter. But now that you've seen that initial rebound in industrial activity, you still have, in most cases, lingering concerns about the virus and a need to maintain some restriction. So from here, we think the pace of growth is going to be somewhat slower headed into 2021. And it's really you know, widespread vaccination that will allow those remaining restrictions to be lifted and have another reacceleration in growth to get back to more or less normal. So phase one being the unlock and the sharp jump in activity, phase two being this kind of bridge between that initial jump and the vaccines, and then phase three being the normalization after we get the vaccines. So we've talked a bit on this podcast about the vaccine outlook and distribution in the U.S. and Europe. Talk about the outlook for the vaccine in Asia. Will approval processes look a little bit like they do in the U.S. and Europe? And what will distribution look like? Can we expect widespread distribution when the vaccine's ready? I think things will take a little bit longer in Asia. I mean, we clearly have some very large population economies, China, India, you know, with well over a billion population each, challenges to distributing many of these vaccines based on the need for cold chains and so forth. And in some cases, you know, economies not really having much of their own you know, indigenous vaccine production. So generally, we've been assuming that emerging markets will get vaccinated later. Developed markets may get a long way in Q2 and Q3. You know, emerging markets maybe in the second half of the year or even early 2022. There's still a lot we're learning about the different contracts that countries have signed with the vaccine makers. 
And as you pointed out, we still need to get approvals in certain jurisdictions and have the actual production and distribution of the vaccine. So there are a lot of unknowns, but the initial news has clearly been good in terms of discovering that many of these vaccines are going to work. So at the outset of the pandemic, policymakers went into emergency mode and acted pretty aggressively. What's the current monetary and fiscal stimulus environment in Asia? And what do you expect looking into next year? Is there still room to go lower on rates in some countries? And is there any appetite to do more stimulus? We had a big wave of fiscal and monetary stimulus in Asia, like other parts of the world. Generally, we've seen more fiscal stimulus in the higher income economies, as much as 5 to 10% of GDP. The middle to lower income emerging markets have done somewhat less. And conversely, we've tended to see some of the lower income economies do more in terms of monetary stimulus, lowering rates more. But I think we're near the tail end of that easing cycle now, with economies recovering and with you know, rates having been lowered to, in many cases, all-time lows, there's probably not a lot of appetite for doing additional easing. We do think we'll get a trickle of rate cuts in some of the you know, lower-income economies, in particular India and Indonesia, we think, can probably cut rates further. But we're not expecting to see a lot more stimulus in 2021. We should see rates stay low, fiscal policy stay supportive, but probably not a lot of new easing. And I should say in China, we actually see policymakers starting to take the foot off the accelerator. Credit growth has slowed somewhat, although it's still healthy. The fiscal deficit is coming off the peak, although it's still large, and interest rates have also come off the lows. So over the past several years, U.S.-China trade tension has been sort of at the forefront of a lot of the dialogue, at least here in the U.S., are tariffs and the prospect for renewed tensions still weighing on the outlook in the region, or does the new administration change that outlook a bit? The risks have shifted. The risks over the last few years have been predominantly in the direction of potentially more tariffs, more actions, whether they be with related to tech sanctions or other things that could potentially be impactful for the supply chain. What we're seeing is more of a shift to the risks being probably more skewed to the downside. It's not clear that in the base case, we'll necessarily see a big drop in US tariffs on China, for example, but the risk is probably in that direction rather than tariffs going higher. And I think it's worth pointing out that we've also had a significant regional trade agreement signed about a week ago, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, which is a group of most of Asia Pacific, ex-India, where there are agreements to lower tariffs and non-tariff barriers over time. So I think that also reduces uncertainty about the direction of travel for the region in terms of trying to allow for regional supply chains, cross-regional sales, exports, and so forth. So I think that reduction in uncertainty is helpful. And coming along with a Biden administration that's probably going to be a bit less inclined to use tariffs, I think that does reduce some uncertainty about the goods trade outlook going forward. So how about foreign exchange? What impact does a weaker dollar and and the appreciation of some of the Asian currencies like the Chinese yuan have for the region's economic outlook? Well, we think that it's a complement to what we expect to be Asian outperformance over the next year or two. We have an expectation of broad dollar weakness globally, and Asia could be a big component of that insofar as we think growth will outperform. We think interest rates in the region, particularly in key economies like China, will be higher than the U.S. That will continue to attract new flows of capital to the region. Just to take China, 
We had last year about $5 billion a month going into the Chinese bond markets. Lately, it's been more like $20 billion, reflecting this interest rate differential as well as China's inclusion into major bond indexes. So those kinds of dynamics, I think, will support regional currencies. And we think the renminbi would lead the way. We expect the renminbi to go to 630 to the US dollar a year from now. So we see no room for more appreciation from here. All right. Well, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. We'll take a break this Friday for the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States, but we'll be back next week with more economic updates and forecasts. Hope everyone has a great and safe holiday. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. Thanks for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.